Are you listening to A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine on Apple Podcasts? Well, if you are, please make sure that you leave us a review. Now, of course, we would love five stars, but if anything, we want to hear how you are enjoying the show. Now back to A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. I've been so good. Thank you for having me. I'm like so honored and oh, humbled. Yeah. And there's caffeine involved, so I had to go. Yeah, there you go. That that's what that's what. <laughs> no, of course, Brandon. I mean, you know, well, well, one, it's been a minute. I think that a lot of people don't even realize that about this podcast to date. So much of it is like you all are my friends. Like you know, like I haven't caught up with you all in forever. So um, it's been a while, but then. I mean, of course, I want to interview the co-founder of a tech company. <laughs> like, what? Crazy. I know. Um, yeah, I'm surprised myself even. It still hasn't hit me. No worries. No worries. Well, listen, we're going to dive into all the things. But um, welcome one and all to another episode of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. Now, Brandon, we just go ahead and jump right on in. So if you're good to go, I'm good to go. Yeah, let's go. All right, cool. Well, for those of you that are listening, welcome to season six. I mean, come on now. We made it and uh, we hit 100 episodes this season. So 100 people have been on here. And today we're talking to Brandon Hurd. And Brandon is the co-founder and chief brand experience officer at Pike. I said that correctly, right? Pike? Yes. yes. How did you all come up with the name? So um, I'll get into sort of what it is in a moment, but... Pike was it's short for turnpike. Okay. And every toll, every turnpike has a booth that you have to get through in order to get to the other side. And we are kind of playing in this space of experience discovery and tourism. So that analogy of being the booth that gets people from point A to point B, from like sitting at home to doing the thing that they love is an analogy that we really liked. So um, it passed the rounds of legal, which was surprising that no one had that in our space. So yeah. we got very lucky. It, you know, it doesn't shock me because when I first, when you first announced one that you were starting a, a tech company, that I was not shocked. And then the other thing too with the name, because I know how much you're into nature. I mean, anybody that follows you on social, I think one minute you're looking at, you know, you're showing pictures of galaxy. Next minute you're in the forest. Next minute you're close to ice. But then the other thing too, and I, I hope I'm not oversharing here, so please stop me at any point because I know you're working on a lot of projects. I remember you talking to me about your your plan to work on uh, um, architecture at large or like gentrification. I don't know if you're still working on that. We can. Am, am I oversharing here or should? Um, I don't think so. I think okay. I, some way these interests that I have all find a way of like manifesting and yeah. there's a lot of overlap in terms of like what motivated me to do these things and yeah. I'm an ideas person so sometimes I'm like I'm gonna do this thing and it happens like right away or it happens years later yeah so um I think that there is definitely some red thread that exists between like what we used to talk about and you know mm -hmm. what I'm doing now 
Awesome. And I love that you were able to bring it all together because I think with that project, it actually dealt with um, it dealt with um, uh, cost of living. And I think that you were talking about like homes and things of that nature that you want to dive into. So just beautiful. But for those of you that are listening, that aside, um, I, I'm always fascinated by how people come up with names, uh, especially living in a day and age to where, you know, Facebook having to backtrack and now they're meta just understanding how much weight these names hold. So I'm glad that you all were thoughtful with like what went into the name of the company. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Pipe is a mapping and location technology company that allows people and brands to save, organize and socialize experiences that are unique to the diverse communities and subcultures that they belong to. But long before Pike, Brandon's career began through Interpublic Group's fellowship program, where he worked at Octagon on their insights and strategy team and then future brand as a brand strategy consultant. The fellowship ultimately took him to RGA, which is the idea generator of the world, where he stayed there for nearly four years, which is pretty long, spanning across uh, their marketing transformation, along with um, many different parts of the business, such as brand design, and then also consulting. At RGA, Brandon led strategy for Ad Council's Emmy Award-winning work, Love Has No Labels. I'm pretty sure many of you have seen that with the two skeletons. And then also worked on brands that included Samsung, Amazon, uh, XFL, uh, Duncan, as well as American Express. Recently, Brandon has also worked across the Chase portfolio at Droga5 on their brand strategy team. And then prior to that, he is uh, just phenomenal. Not only someone, uh, we were in close connection with each other uh, when you were at Color Future Program, and then recently named Business Insiders Rising Star on Madison Avenue. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you were also a nominee, correct, for a Rising Star um, Award for At Color. Is that correct? Yeah, I was. Um, Ad Color Rising Star nominee and also Forbes 30 Under 30 nominee. Yes, absolutely. So well done, my friend. I mean, you've been moving. And what I've always loved about, I think, you and like the work that you've done is it's always been so purposeful uh, and like driven by purpose. And one of the things that Brandon also is, is a certified master of competitive intelligence professional for the national uh, train and a national training facility, excuse me, for the United Nations Child Friendly Cities Initiative. So definitely want to hear about that. But um, it's just good to see you. Welcome to a dose of black joy and caffeine. How are you doing? Thank you. Nice to see you too. And honestly, that was a phenomenal introduction. Thank you. <laughs> um, it is everything is going really well. Um, such a different place in my life now. So yeah. kind of learning how to navigate being an entrepreneur staying in touch with my marketing and brand people yeah. um, and really just like learning the world of investors and, and, and technology. So lots of learning right now. And I, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. Where are you based these days? So I'm in New York, um, okay. in Brooklyn, but honestly, I feel like I'm all over the place. Um, I've been traveling a lot. Um, I have uh, uh, my office is out on Long Island, which is like, a pain to get to sometimes, but kind of yeah. nice to leave the city and then come back and, you know, be in the culture. But I've also been all over um, LA. I'll be in Paris next month. So lots of traveling happening. Yeah. 
I want to know the thinking process, Brandon, of like you making the the big jump. And I, the reason why I say big jump is because anybody that's known you, I mean, we mentioned that you worked at RGA. You were obviously at Droga Five. I think within the marketing and advertising space, your career, um, you know, was probably pretty solid. And I think your trajectory of like what you could have done in advertising and marketing. But what made you say, you know what, I'm actually going to jump out and try something new and be the co-founder of this uh, upcoming uh, initiative. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's certainly scary. And yeah. as I mentioned, there's a lot of crazy ideas that I have um, when I was at RGA, at Droga. And it's not often where you come across an idea where you're like, this is the thing I'm going to go all in on. So you really have to be passionate about it and and have vision. Um I was doing sort of like freelance consulting outside of my day-to-day -day at Droga, um, helping um, who, the, the person who's now my, my business partner and co-founder um, with a similar type of company in the mapping and location tech space. And I think um, in that journey, we realized that we were sitting on something much bigger. Mm -hmm. And that there were a lot of things happening in the world that were pointing in, in the direction of Pike. And so um, we kind of, as I like to say it, sort of dated for six months, just trying to understand how well do we work together? Is this something that is viable? Do we really believe in what we're building here? And it wasn't until um, January where things really clicked and mm -hmm. we found an investor who agreed to fund the initial bootstrap of our company. Uh, they were like, put together a budget. Who do you want to hire for this? And one thing led to another and the opportunity, like I couldn't refuse. And I called my mom. I'm like, mom, do I do this? Like, what do you think? <laughs> like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like it fails and you come back home in New York where you live and you have a place to be and you go back into the agency life. So I'm like, you know what? You're right. So I kind of just went for it. I love that. And also too, I love the fact that you called your mom, right? Because I feel like so often we we miss that to where we think during these big career professional moments, you know, regardless of how close our families sometimes are to like what we do, we kind of feel like, oh, let me call the you know, CEO of this company, or let me call this person and not to discredit any of our family members, but you're like, you know what? I need to call the person that knows me best. I'm going to yeah. call my mom and see what she says. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I think, I mean, on that note, like we sometimes don't include our family and what we're doing. Oh, yeah. You know, I thought it was important that my mom has a say in this and she's not going to steer me wrong. So um, I was like, I have to, I have to make that phone call. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so let me ask you this then. I mean, you're now obviously a co-founder at that chief brand experience officer, which is a really, really big title. How are you or are you able to still make time for those elaborate trips that you go on, whether that's uh, you in the middle of an ice cube or you, you know, looking at the galaxy, like, how are you still finding time to do that? Yeah, so it's interesting. I think um, I remember hearing a talk from Michelle Gee, and she said that um, you can, people will say that you can't have all three, money, mm -hmm. relationships, and uh, 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 and health. Mm -hmm. She's like, you can, but you just can't have all three at the same time. Yeah. And I think as you make these career um, changes, you have to figure out how to balance two of the three 
and be very clear with people close to you about what your priorities are. And I think the traveling piece is interesting because it is the industry that I'm in right now. And so I think when I am traveling for fun and doing all these things for fun, it feels like it's actually like market research, right? It feels yeah, like yeah. it's part of work um, in a way that can be enjoyable. And what motivated me to go this route was the fact that, um, you know, I was traveling all over the country. I think <laughs> when, the pandemic, when the pandemic started to ease up, you know, I was like, where can I go that feels different? And that's not Miami. Um, it's not global. And so I spent a lot of time going to random places in the US. And part of my rationale behind that was to really understand the different types of people and mm. perspectives that exist in America. I think when you live in New York and work in New York, it's easy to think that the US is or should be reflective of how New York exists. But there's realities of different places in America that you don't realize. And so I had the chance to go to these places and meet these people and talk to people who I thought would never have a conversation with me. And um, with Pike, I want to bring those types of experiences and places to our customers. Beautifully said. Now, I think before we go any further, we have to know what is Pike? Yeah. So Pike is um, a platform that allows people to discover, save, organize, and socialize experiences. So that's a mouthful. But the way I like to think of it is if sort of TikTok, um, Apple Maps, and your Notes app had a baby, it would be Pike. Um, we saw that people will discover experiences on TikTok and Instagram, and they'll bookmark it. They'll save it in their Notes app. Um, they'll screenshot it. And they're saving it for the right moment. But by the time that moment comes, they forgot that they saved it to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. Some people go as far as creating a Google spreadsheet and they have the itinerary, the budget, everything organized and people in the group chat are still asking what the plan is, right? No, yeah. So, even even you just saying spreadsheet, I was like, this sounds dated, but yeah. I right. yeah. <laughs> so there's not really that one place for people to save the experiences that they come across. And so Pike is essentially that first and foremost, a utility for saving and organizing experiences, but you could then socialize those experiences to friends. Um, you could discover experiences through, right. through guides that are organized. So um, it's something that is not a, a thrillist or infatuation best of list, but it's important for us that it's a little bit more bespoke, right? Yeah. So it might say like exploring Bushwick's glitchcore music scene with Eduardo Powell. Like what is glitchcore, right? When you read something like that, it makes you want to click into it and you might find something you like. Or if Supreme was a cafe and all the experiences are unique cafes that are people who love Supreme. Um, if you're a brand like Chase, you might do Chase's Guide to the US Open and every experience are places where you get exclusive access or rewards if you're a Sapphire customer. And so, um, again, it's a utility first and foremost for saving and organizing experiences, but then being able to socialize, um, remix guides, find them uh, and, and, and go out and do the thing you love. That's nice. And it could you all could not have, you know, been able to like launch this at a better time. I mean, people are back outside, you know, trying to be more outside. And so I think that it's nice because with Pike, you're actually reintroducing us to um, a way to not only um, 
find out about events, if I'm hearing this correctly, but also engage with events to where it's like, we have to relearn that just the same way we have to relearn, I think, how to communicate with each other, um, you know, in person as well. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I think um, the interesting angle is like, it should be experiences that really feel unique to who you are. I like to think of our brand character as someone like Andy Warhol or David Bowie, who pursued this path of like wanting to know who they were mm -hmm. and they found their tribe of people in that process. So rather than chasing after the cool event, the thing that's trending, like go after the thing that you have always been interested in or you've just discovered and you're like, maybe this is something interesting to me, you know, and if it sticks, it might become part of, you know, who I am. Mm -hmm. And so those experiences we want to surface and um, it's a lot of work right now, but it's a fun exercise. And I mean, but I mean, you say a lot of work, but also too, I couldn't find, I couldn't think of a better person to be able to do the work. So I'm sure that I'm sure it's taking off for sure. Um, you know, I think anytime that you're creating something, um, and that it's like at the foundation of like what you're doing, there has to be a strategy in place. Are there certain steps, um, from a, from a fundamental standpoint, when it comes to building a strategy that makes sense that you feel are like the core things that everyone has to think about when creating something of your nature? Absolutely. Um, I think that uh, the way I like to think about it is, you know, strategy is about being different in an effort to win. And there's a lot out there. Um, and I think you have to stay focused on like what that vision is and not keep looking to the left and right of you. And not, you know, I have a lot of friends now who um, in good faith are sending me all of these different like competitors all the time. <laughs> Closing my eyes, I'm like, please, um, I don't need to see this right now. Yeah. But um, it kind of reinforces the need of like you, like at the end of the day, you have to create something that offers value to a customer, something that is a utility and is fresh. And I feel like like those principles as as, as we approach the strategy for the brand is essential. Um, so not just from a product standpoint, but from a brand identity standpoint as well. Like, how are we showing up to the world? How are we going to introduce ourselves? Um, and and how do we bring customers along in this journey? So nice. I think um, I think there's that for sure. And then I guess with your team or even prior to, you know, your company now, even at RGA, what have you found to be the easiest way to keep people focused on the strategy at hand? Because, you know, I think that we work in very collaborative atmospheres myself when I used to be at Google and sometimes people get very excited, but how do you kind of, you know, without being so literal and saying you all, this is the strategy. How do you try to keep them anchored? Yeah, I, so that's a great question. Um, first and foremost, I, I tried to develop the Atomic team. And for me, the Atomic team includes brand designers, experienced designers, technologists, and, and copywriters, because I think people forget that copywriting is also an interface. Yeah. And um, bringing all these diverse disciplines together and really, really spelling out like what is the story here and what is the impetus behind Pike. And then what I like to do is give the control to the people on the team and have them kind of recite back to me their understanding of the strategy. And we do that over and over again until it just clicks. And I yeah. think um, being able to workshop is also a very valuable uh, uh, 
um, activity because it also gets people to action what they understand of the strategy in real time. So, so I think that has been very helpful. And it's funny because when you work with creative people as a strategist, you have to balance how hands-on you are. Mm -hmm. So um, my team will ask me like, do you want to be a part of like the design process? And I'm like, well, I will write out sort of the, the main design requirements here, but I think I don't want to be a roadblock. So it's like, have at it, like go do your thing and then we'll come back and, um, use the strategy as a filter for how we make our decisions. So um, we we do go back to the strategy and we say like, is this on brief, right? Is this truly the direction we want to go? Mm -hmm. No, I, I love that. Definitely. And I think you've always been somebody that's been pretty true to that, not being a roadblock, but also really, you know, keeping people to like stay the course, which I think is so important. Oh my goodness. Well, this is amazing. So you have reached the point of the podcast where I always ask people, if they could give a dose of anything, a dose of something to the culture. What do you feel like people need a dose of? It can't be joy, because obviously that's why you're on the podcast and you brought so much joy to so many individuals. But as you dive deeper into what you're doing right now, what do you mm -hmm. feel like is missing that's specific to you? Oh, that's such a big question. Does it have to be one thing? It could okay. It could be a couple. I'll I'll allow that for you, Brent. <laughs> um, okay, I I think um. You know what? I can make it one thing. Uh, th there's a question I asked myself a few years ago that I think people are still asking themselves now, mm -hmm. and that question is, "Who am I without everybody else?" Mm -hmm. And you know, we see that people are in this very high state of loneliness, of anxiety which is crazy when you think about it because we are living in the most social time ever, right? How are people feeling anxious and lonely? And I think that um, we kind of have to go back to exploring what makes us us, right? What are the things that get us excited about who we are, right? What's our purpose, which I hate that phrase as a question. Um, and so I think um, spending time really trying to get to know yourself um, being present and not, you know, chasing the next thing. So I think that is certainly the thing people need. And in my story in particular, when I went through that journey of answering that question, um, you realize at the end of the day that the question all along is really who am I with everybody else, right? Like it's, it's almost a journey that you kind of have to go through. And so that way, when you answer that question, you're showing up authentic you're not compromising who you are right which kind of goes back to the beginning of why pike's character is almost that andy warhol david bowie type of person like they're they were just so true to themselves and they found their tribe of people in that process yeah i like that also too i mean even on the flip side you had me thinking who who and not to sound arrogant but also at the same time who is everybody else without me you know like that's the that's the other thing sometimes because sometimes you can be helping or supporting people so much that you're actually leaving that person to like a disadvantage because mm -hmm. you're not giving them that opportunity um so yeah deep right. I like that okay cool um so I did a little snooping I may or may not have tried to find a leak with Pike uh, no, 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 I'm messing around. But where, when is it going to be available? Because I like, I looked at it, I went to the website and then I also got redirected to like LinkedIn. So you all had me kind of like 
I need this thing. How how do I how do I like tangibly gain access to Pike? Yeah, that's um there's a lot of reasoning behind that. I think part um we have we're moving very aggressively to get this into market. So the the plan is to have something by the end of fall, early winter, which is always scared for me as an entrepreneur to say that publicly because you yeah. know you're holding yourself accountable. And oh, they'll be yeah, I mean, like, so you know what? Yeah. Yeah. Like we, but we, both worked, we both worked very closely with so many tech companies to where right. we know how much, I mean, and not to say you are that tech company, but there are several that announce things that right. <laughs> we know are not seeing the light of day for five years. So that's good. That's a good timeline. Yeah. And I think um, we're, we're looking at, you know, the end of fashion week because there'll still be that sort of high that, you know, you get in New York and we're, we'll be launching in primarily in the New York and and LA markets. Um, okay. But I think part of the reason why things have been so mysterious is because obviously we want to make sure that we're not revealing too much yeah. uh, until we have something. And and there's a, a really good saying that my coworker had shared with me, and it's that great marketing will kill a bad product. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm actually very, very confident in the marketing strategy of this, because that's just what my background is in. Yeah. The focus right now is really on building like a world-class product that again is a utility to people. So I'm like, once we master that and I'm feeling good about that, then, you know, we'll talk about this as much as we need to. Yeah. How does your family feel about everything? My, I feel like my family, they're, they are the most supportive people ever. Um, They're my champion. I think it's, my mom is cute because she will she will go and boast about what I'm up to and she's never articulating it correctly, but <laughs> she, she tries, you know, yeah. I think um, this moment is, and I was thinking about this a lot for this podcast because it's not often we reflect on things and see where we are and how far we've come. But um, historically my, my great grandfather was a doctor and my father was a solar engineer and there's a lot of like big shoes to fill. So I always think about, you know, if they were alive, they would totally be proud of me right now. Uh, my mom is a very creative person. And from them too, they're very much like, like scientists and they're really thinking um, systematically. So this, this, this um, uh, 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 venture is certainly living at the intersection of both of them. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping to to make them proud. Oh yeah, I'm sure you are. I mean, I think that you're you're building something from, you know, the the ground up, which is, you know, outstanding. There're going to be a lot of hard nights, you know, but I don't think that those are going to be any different than hard nights that you honestly would probably still be experiencing in the day to day in the role that you were previously in. And I think that's just like uh really says a lot about how you work, you know, and also how you work with others. Uh I would love to know your thoughts how do you define a great collaborator? Mm. That's a great question. I think a great collaborator is a great listener. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they listen to understand and they don't listen to respond. I think it's knowing when to let go of um, too much of the vision so that it doesn't compromise creativity and innovation mm-hmm. um and i also think it's playing to people's strengths um 
one thing my my mentor told me was to always identify the naysayer in the room and just really being thoughtful about how to use the information that they're providing. I think many times we're quick to not want to work with them, but they could also be really good for like scenario analysis. Like what if, you yeah. know, that doesn't work out or we haven't thought about that. So it's kind of like, it's kind of uh, uh, being the person to manage, you know, all these different things so that ideas can thrive. Yeah, I say that all the time. I'm like, I want the people in the room that just hate everything right. because, because it's going to be that one person out there. And so um, for the longest, that used to frustrate me because it's just like, oh my goodness, I got, I'm like all this energy that I have to put into this person. But, um, you know, you come out on the, on the, on the better end of things, shall I say. So that's a good point. Yeah. And I think just bringing them along for the journey. I, I know so many people, and I used to do this all the time. I would kind of go operate on my own and then bring things to people at the end. And it's like, well, I didn't account for any of their, their opinions. They don't feel like they're included. And so it's like, you need to know when to engage your team and different stakeholders at the right time. So that way, by the time you need to get something approved or get it out there, you have the buy-in from, from everyone, including the naysayers. <laughs> I mean, but isn't there also, is there, are there any scenarios where the naysayer is not included? <laughs> I'm just being real. Like, I mean, many, I think many times you have people who will craft the team and not bring the naysayer in because they yeah. don't want to create that, um, that roadblock. Yeah. Um, I've seen it happen all the time. And I think I've actually found that when you bring them in the beginning and have them as part of the ideation process, and you know demonstrate to them how their ideas made it into the work or how their opinions inform the work that they're you know the final product they mm -hmm. feel seen they feel like they've contributed yeah. yeah it is truly valuable yeah that's good i'm glad you brought that up and thank you so much for sharing that because like i said i think from rga to what you're doing right now and even working with you shortly you know briefly with the work that we were doing um i think that it shows that you're an amazing collaborator you know, during Thank this you. podcast, you've mentioned two of my favorite creative individuals. I absolutely love Andy Warhol and David Bowie. But if you had to identify five key artists, musicians, creators, or even individuals that you think uh, really were impactful to driving innovation and creativity, who would those five individuals be? Ooh, this is a big question. Um, okay. Um, let's see. I think that... Issa Rae is someone who comes to mind. Um, I talked about this with my with my team when we were talking about Pike as she would also be someone who represents the brand character very well because she was kind of casted as like an oddity. Like she her her opinions when it came to comedy weren't as popular. Mm -hmm. And she just stuck with that. And she stuck to who she was and her 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 authenticity and it took off and it's now something that um, I think everyone appreciates and can uh, relate to. Yeah, nice. Um, can, say the question one more time. It's absolutely. Who... I said if you could cut, if you could identify five people that you feel were um, innovative, creative, to just kind of changing the course of creativity, tech world, PR, marketing, uh, music. Who are those five people? Mm. I think, uh, I hope not to sound um, 
like this is tried and true, but I would oh, and certainly listen, say and also too, let me say this. If any of you come in the comments for yeah. Brandon, make sure you at me because I got your back. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I will say I think Beyonce, um, especially right now, I am thoroughly impressed at how um her music and her craft really speaks to the community. Um, but spe specifically as someone who is gay, how she has um, been so inspired by the 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 queer community and how she has publicly shared that and has recognized and given her her her, her thanks to that community. Um, and you know now this summer we have our our anthems because of her. So <laughs> um, I think she she's another one. Um, um, who else? Um, I think we can all agree uh, Tiffany R. Warren. Um, oh, yeah. The whole, I think, rise up, reach back uh, uh, um, uh, formula is so important. And I think so many times we used to focus on one or the other. And for her to say that these things are necessary and that to, to, to rise up, you have to reach back and they must coexist, I think is truly innovation. But also speaking back to like when ad color was initially forming and how she wanted to give people the same stage that you know many famous people spoke at like at, at the Dolby theater I thought that was so wild to me and like that was so so fascinating um so from an industry standpoint she's definitely um definitely up there um who else there are two more um, two more this is Brandon's top five of innovators. I'm, you know, I'm gonna get off this, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have like ten more that come to my mind. I know. <laughs> but yeah, just no, we don't have to hold you to it. We can have you back on the podcast. Um, yeah. Um. Let's see. Two more. You said Issa Rae, Beyonce, Tiffany R. Warren. Um. We might have to come back to that one. We can come back to it. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's come back to it. But I love what you mentioned about, you know, reaching back because you've certainly done that for sure. Can you talk to us a little bit about the work that you've done with the United Nations? Yeah, so that is a, a very interesting story. So about 15 years ago, um, I co-founded New York's uh, first ever pilot for um, something that's called the Child Friendly Cities Initiative. Okay. And um, we would lobby to uh, uh, politicians about getting this institutionalized in the country. And essentially, um, the motivation behind this was globally, um, many, many countries have um, articles that allow children to have rights legally. And the U.S. did not have... What, what, what rights are those? Because These are rights that include um, health, education... Um, access to child-friendly spaces that feel safe and allow them to participate in recreational activities. Gotcha. And the U.S. Um, didn't have those. And so we borrowed some of these articles and used them as um, a framework for how we introduce a version to the U.S. And what it does is it allows youth and adult stakeholders across government, um, policymakers, uh, public health, education, to create what we call a one-year action plan 
that impacts the city. And typically when cities are being developed and decisions are being made, they're not accounting for the impact that it has on children. Usually their voices are not even heard um, to begin with. And so this allows youth to have a seat at the table. Um, and so my work as a, a, a national training facil facilitator, it works with these key stakeholders and youth in order to not just bring these programs and initiatives to cities, but once they're there, how do they actually create the plan that then becomes executed? Um, and so it has officially become institutionalized as of, uh, I, I wanna say two or three years ago across okay. the US, we're in several major cities um, and we have youth who are now able to work with um, um, people in government, healthcare providers, policymakers, to again, build these plans. So for example, um, when there are choices about how public school systems at the local level are being made, the youth actually have a say in what those choices are. Or when a company, when, when uh, a city says, we're gonna invest this much money into parks and recreation, they have a say in terms of what actually goes into that. Are there gonna be sidewalks for us to actually get there, right? And not get hit by a car in the process. So all these things that often don't get considered. Yeah, that's absolutely beautiful. Now, was this something that you were involved prior to kind of like beginning your career, whether that's at RGA or Droga, or is this something that you did while still maintaining your nine to five? So it started when I um, was growing up, honestly. I was in, in, in high school and um, I grew up in the Upper East Side in Manhattan. When most people think of the Upper East Side, they think of Fifth Avenue, they think of the Met. Um, the very, very wealthy. But what they don't know is that the northeastern part of the Upper East Side, right before you get to East Harlem, is the start of a community which at the time had the highest concentration of public housing. So I grew up in a 500 square foot bedroom with two older brothers, two dogs, my mom and my aunt. And um, it wasn't great. And so my mom often pushed me to be a part of a lot of community initiatives. And so this was one of them. Um, I was a part of a group called Take Action, and we had built our own sort of marketing campaign that uh, involved us as youth doing research and trying to present that to stakeholders to get them to consider, you know, our opinions. Yeah. So what started as a pilot didn't really materialize until a few years ago, in which then I came back into the initiative and then uh, continued that outside of my my day job. I love that. Yeah, I just wanted to ask because I think that sometimes a lot of people, they kind of struggle to, you know, obviously maintain the day-to-day -day of a nine-to-five while also being able to give back and do something uh, from a social responsi social responsibility uh, lane as well. So uh, that's always helpful for sure. Yeah. Now, my question, Big B Boss Brandon, um, I wanted to know, who, and you don't have to mention them, but um, what's the best manager that you've ever had? I think you growing this company, you managing people now, you've managed people obviously at, you know, RGA, whether that's projects and other things, but how would you describe the best boss that you've ever had? Manager, shall I say? Oh my gosh, this is... Um... I feel like all my managers are going to be listening in and they're going to be like, well, that's up to them. <laughs> that's up to them. If they don't make the list, it's um, cool. they're lost at this point. I, I have had 
I've been very grateful, honestly, to have a lot of great managers. I've had managers that weren't so great. Um, I've had tons that have been excellent. And the best manager I had, um, I'm going to, I'm going to name drop her. Her name is Catherine Daly. I worked with her at RGA. Um, and again, at Droga, she actually poached me. And um, the the reason why Catherine is incredible is because although she was older than, than although she's older than me, um, more senior, she always made sure to one, identify what my strengths were and, and, and find a way to bring that into the work that we were doing. So she'd never had ego or pride that said, you know, because I have the higher title, um, uh, 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 the, the bigger salary, like this is the way things are going to go. She always made sure like to bring me in on things yeah. and she always advocated for me to get that promotion, get the raise, um, never held back. And she said to me, she was like, she was like, when you look at a job, you should work somewhere that makes you so good at what you do that everyone wants to hire you, but you love it so much that you never want to leave. Yeah. And I always looked at that as um, um, whenever I interviewed somewhere, I'm like, that is something I'm keeping in mind. And she was always that person that made it so hard for me to leave while also making sure that I was fully stepping into my craft. And I like have so much respect for that. I love that. Beautifully said. And I mean, I think that that's what it's all about. You know what I mean? Like really trying to just take people's positive qualities and understand how can they be beneficial to the organization, what you're building. So um, that's admirable. You are definitely on a road that I'm excited to watch from afar. Um, but even why not from afar? How can people help? How can people apply? How can brands get involved with Pike? Is there a lane or role or are you all a very kind of nimble small team right now that's really focused on building? I mean, yeah, I think there's a lot of ways to get involved. One thing I'm realizing now is, um, you know, through our platform, brands will be able to advertise. And so knowing what that process looks like from being, you know, agency side, I definitely want to stay close to my agency and media people, right? Because when a brand is thinking about where they should show up, I want them to think Pike, right? Yeah. Uh, so definitely champion Pike for that. Uh, I think when we launch, obviously download Pike, use it, give me feedback. If you're interested in the beta version and want to test things, um, reach out and we can make that happen. Um, and yeah, I just think um, um, just being supportive as much as possible. I think friends and family can go a long way when it comes to trying to get something um, off the ground. Awesome. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I mean, count me in if you need anything you I mean, you hopefully you already know this, but definitely reach out. But um, yeah, I can't wait to learn more to be involved um, in any capacity. So put me on the beta list for sure. Thank you. Um, So I know that we talked about a lot of serious stuff here, but I, I do want to dive into something that is very serious to me. And I think it's serious to you too. skydiving. Are you done with the skydiving? Because we want you to remain here on land, Brandon. <laughs> I, I'm certainly, I'm still skydiving. Oh, um, gosh. It's actually funny. So part of the reason why I did that, two reasons. I think when coming out of the pandemic, I was like, I feel like I don't have a hobby and I need to find like a hobby. And so I tried a bunch of things until something, you know, was sticky. 
And, and skydiving, that's where you landed, skydiving, jumping out of the plane. And it was kind of a full circle moment because I first went skydiving in New Zealand. When I wanted to go skydiving, I said, it's going to be in the most beautiful place possible first. Yeah. And uh, when I started to get my license, my instructor actually was a coach from the same drop zone that I jumped out of in New Zealand. And so I was like, wow, I started in New Zealand and now I have a coach here from that same place. And I think that um, it just speaks to my desire to want to see the world from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And um, my goal with skydiving is not to like become some crazy like Red Bull athlete, but whenever (laughs) I travel to, you know, different places, I really, I genuinely just want to see what the world looks like from that perspective. So um, I have a big uh, um, goal of wanting to skydive over um, uh, uh, Giza. So if you ever see me do that, then you know I've um, I'll be I'll be happy with where my life has taken me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, that's a ton of fun. I mean, uh, what's the research that went into it before you decided? Okay, this is something that I'm gonna do. Um, it started with. I think an Instagram story poll, like, should I do this? The <laughs> there you go. I called to my mom. I was like, would you get mad at me if I do this? And my mom was like, oh, you better go do that. So I'm like, <laughs> all right. So I, I got all the approval I need there. Um, I think I definitely, I underestimated how expensive it is. It's not cheap. Mm-hmm. So I had to save a lot for that. Um, but also what the 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 program was like and um how much is it i'm just curious oh my gosh um it could be several thousand so you're basically paying for each jump and certain jumps are more expensive if you have certain instructors with you um so the good thing is it starts expensive but it ends up becoming much more um, affordable and now when i jump anywhere in the world i don't have to pay nearly as much as what people pay when they go tandem. So nice. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I hate to be nosy, but it's hard to miss all the books behind you. Um, what's the last good book that you read and or two or three books that you've read? Um, let's see. Two or three books that I've read that um I always tell people about. So the first is The Perfect Mix. Um okay. Dr. Helen Rothberg. So she was my strategy professor this woman has her phd four graduate degrees you said it's called the perfect mix the perfect mix everything i know about leadership i learned as a bartender (laughs) um, she's from the lower east side it's incredible so each chapter has half of it is about um what she learned uh an experience as a bartender and then how it translated in the boardroom Uh, and she offers um advice for for leadership so that's what i recommend um, there's another one that I actually think is here. Um, this one is called, it's called Yamas and Niyamas by Deborah Adele. Mm-hmm. I probably have given this book out, um, the most I've given it to strangers, um, to friends. And these are all of, uh, the, the 10 jewels to, to yoga. And uh-huh. so it's not about like yoga and doing, you know, meditation techniques, but it's about, um, kind of tenants that we need to ground ourselves in. And I find that when some of my friends have lost their way, this book can be very helpful in guiding them to where they need to get to. Um, And now I'm kind of late to the game, but I'm starting to read um, Midnight Library, which um, 
it's fiction. I think you, it's, it's important to have some fiction in your life. Um, I'm not the most excited about it, but this um, baby steps, we're, you know? we're, we're pushing through it. Um, but it, <laughs> it's interesting to me because it's also all about, um, it, it has this like theme of space and time, which I geek out on and how it applies to this fictional story. Um, it's a little bit more dark than I expected. So we'll give it a few more chapters. And if it's not it, then I'm a big believer in closing the book and putting it down. Yeah, me too. Trust me, I'm the same way. Well, awesome. Well, listen, to my listeners uh, that are tuning in, uh, you have heard it here first. Make sure you check those books out. I'm really fascinated by the the life of a, the bartender one. So I think I may check that one out too. Listen, it was so great seeing you, my friend. Um, it's been long overdue. Um, if anything, I'm happy to have you on the podcast to like celebrate your story, but also just congratulate you on the journey ahead because I've always appreciated your uh just your your thought process to like ideas and creativity and big ideas, you know. Um, that's why I used to love having you around for sure. <laughs> Cause it's just like, no, yeah, I was always like, I do, I'm calling you at a crazy hour. I have this idea. What do you think? <laughs> um, no, thank you. Thank you for putting up with my crazy ideas all the time. And I'm honestly honored and, and humbled to be on this. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. And to my listeners at home, thank you all for tuning into another episode. I mean, this podcast would not be possible without you. So thank you all for listening. And as always, stay safe and remember that you deserve a dose of Black joy and caffeine. Take care.